This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. here and we're here so I hope we can leave here knowing we've been with him Lord we're not enough without you so we surrender ourselves to you now surrender ourselves to your word your instruction we pray your Holy Spirit would anoint it and seal it to our hearts in your name we pray amen amen you can be seated last week we had a conversation in here about one of the most popular and well-known kids can go out if you want to popular and well-known verses in the Bible it's um it's popular and well-known because of how positive it is and how much promise there is in it and even if you're an unbeliever you've probably seen it on a sign somewhere, on a bumper sticker, on somebody's t-shirt. And the verse we're talking about is the 11th verse of the 29th chapter of Jeremiah, which says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, and plans to give you hope and a future. Now, like I said, we talked about that last week, but we have to go back to it this week for two reasons. One is because some people in the room were not in the room last week, and this is a conversation that everybody needs to be in on, so we're going to visit it again. Maybe a little bit of review for those who were here, but that's okay. And the second reason is because there's so much there. It's, it's more than I think you ought to just toss out in one Sunday morning session and then move on to something else. And we talked about the context. So it's always a mistake to pluck a verse out of the Bible, try to apply it to our lives just at at face value without considering the context. What was going on at that time? Who was being spoken to? What was going on in their society? uh, What came afterwards? What came before? All those kinds of things are very important when you consider any verse in the Bible. You take John 3.16, which is the salvation scripture, one of the most important scriptures in the, in the Bible that we use as foundation for our faith. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him could inherit eternal life, can be saved. But you have to consider what, you have to consider the context even of that. Outside of context, we're going to lose something or we're going to mishandle something or we're not going to understand something. It has to be inside context. The context of Jeremiah 29 is that God's people have been overtaken by a foreign pagan government. Now, the Babylonians under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar and they have besieged, the scripture said, Judah and taken most of the quality people, the smart people, the strong people, the talented people, away to Babylon 
to serve in captivity and to benefit Nebuchadnezzar and his country, leaving behind mostly elderly people, very young people, sick people, people with all kinds of problems because they can't serve to benefit Nebuchadnezzar and his folks. That's the society that is in existence when these words were spoken. You have Daniel that we've been talking about for several months who was alive during the same period of time who was in on all of this as well. We've been talking about Daniel stories, lessons from the book of Daniel. And Daniel was one of the ones who was taken to Babylon and is serving there. He's young, he's good looking, he's smart, he's talented. So he's a guy that Nebuchadnezzar very interested in and pretty quickly rises to levels of leadership and ultimately is an interpreter of dreams and visions that the king has, which exalts him to even higher levels. But left behind in Judah is a man named Jeremiah. Jeremiah's, in, in, in the eyes of the general public, is a nutcase, <clears throat> as all prophets were. And I think as true prophets still are, you know, um, because prophets, again, as we said last week, we've, we've sort of reconfigured what prophet looks like in, in modern day religion, and really a prophet of God that's called and ordained to be a prophet of God is not that. It's not just somebody that in a church service goes around and tells people about their future. That's, that may be part of it. God can use a prophet that way, but that's not the sum total of what it means to be a prophet. A prophet is somebody who hears from God, turns around and give those, gives those words away, sometimes in a very radical fashion, and doesn't care whatsoever what anybody thinks about it. Their, their mission is not mandated by any opinions from anybody except God. That's Jeremiah in a nutshell. He's a guy who is walking and sitting. Now listen, because this is, this is an option for all of us. Listen, somebody that is walking in such close fellowship with God and responding at such high levels of obedience to what God says that God trusts him with his words. Is that you? Is that me? Living in a way that God trusts me with his words. And then the words we know are not given just to bless and benefit the individual who receives them, but also so that that individual can give those words away. I just wish more people were walking in such close fellowship with God that he was trusting them with his true words and that they were giving them away boldly. And I wish I myself was at, at deeper levels than I am with that. <clears throat> the world would be a different place. That's Jeremiah, though. He just hears from God and gives it away. And when you get to this uh, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, you take it inside the context of what's going on in their world. And 
So I told you a couple weeks ago that I'm committed to listening and learning. Listening and learning. So as I've been studying this, I've been going online and I've been reading in books and I've been in every direction I can look trying to get people's insight and opinions on what this means and what it doesn't mean. I think that's smart. If you're immature in your faith, if you're weak in your faith, you can get dragged off down all sorts of rabbit trails by doing that. But if you are strong in your faith and if you are living your life in and by the Spirit, it's a good thing to examine, listen to, read, research different opinions and ideas and perspectives on things that the Scripture says because ultimately the Holy Spirit is going to take you where you need to go and teach you what you need to know. So I've been doing that. All kinds of things out there, as you can imagine. Just go to YouTube and put in Jeremiah 29.11. The number of people that preach and teach and have preached and taught on that and have something to say about it is endless. So I cherry-picked a few of them and listened to them. And a lot of them talk about the context and how important the context is. And some of them just emphasize the prosperity part of it because there is still a prosperity gospel that's out there. It's deadly, it's dangerous, it's deceptive, it's going to take you straight to hell if you live by it, but it's out there. Why in the world anybody ever would still be listening to that, much less embracing it and living by it, I have no idea, but they are. Prosperity, if you uh, commit your life to God, He's going to make you rich. It's going to take away all your diseases, all your sicknesses. It's going to give you a big car and a nice house and a boat. And all your relationships are going to be wonderful. And if all that's not the case for you, then you there's some level of something wrong in you. What a terrible lie. What a, what a trap to set for people. Send me $29.11. And God will bring tw- Jeremiah 29.11 to pass in your life in full measure. What a trick. What deception. But you get all of that. You get the whole gamut of opinions on Jeremiah 29.11. But a lot of people do say, take it inside of its context. And here's something else that, that I've heard said in some of these messages. It is, don't take it literally because that was for that time and for those people. So what that means is that I shouldn't embrace Jeremiah 29.11 for me and really believe that God has a plan for me that is a plan to bring good stuff and not calamity into my life and that is a plan to um, give me a great future that's filled with hope. I shouldn't embrace that for me because that was just for them. Right? So you hear that message. And I agree that It was appropriate for them. It was directed to them based on the situation that they were in, but there's a little bit more to it than that. And it does apply to us, and we can embrace it, but we have to make sure we do that the right way. We have to make sure we're approaching it from the right perspective and that we understand 
that God does have a plan, and His plan is for good things and not calamity, and His plan gives us a hopeful future, even though we're living in a different time and facing different stuff in the world than they were. Okay? So, here's, here's how I know that it's good for us. All right? And this is the point for today. How do we know it's good for us? How do we know we can believe Jeremiah 29, 11? How do we know that it does apply to more people than just those Jews who had been taken from their homeland to Babylon or left behind to suffer and struggle? How do we know that it branches out from that and that we have a right to say, yes, that's for me too? Here's a few ways that we know. If we can put up Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 13. I'm going to give you a couple of examples from the New Testament. But we, we, we need to know, even though I'm only giving you a couple, that there are a lot. There are a lot of messages post the arrival of Jesus and his time on earth that tell us that we are inside of God's family and have the same rights and privileges and the promises to us are as good as they've ever been to anybody. Paul says, but don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders, this is the message version of, this, of these couple verses. And when Eugene Peterson translated the scriptures into the message. He chose to use the word outsiders instead of the word Gentiles or instead of the word non-Jews or foreigners. He uses the word outsiders, and I love it. That's why I chose to use this translation for this this morning. Because you and I were outsiders, you say, Jeff, what does, it, what does it mean to be an outsider? It means you're not a Jew. So if there's a, if there's a Jewish person in the room, you're an insider. The rest of us are outsiders. Okay? So the insiders were Israelites, Jewish people. Why? Because God chose to grow up a nation of people that were called his own people. He called a man named Abraham and said, I have chosen you to be the father of a great nation, the number of which will outnumber the stars of the sky and the grains of sand on the beach. That's God's people, God's nation, God's chosen folks, the Jewish people. Everybody else is an outsider. Paul is writing here to outsiders, people who are not Jews. And he says to them, it was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had not, no idea of any of this, didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, 
you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. How does that make you feel? There are no fences, there are no walls, there are no barriers, there is no veil that keeps us out of the presence of God. We have every right and every privilege and every benefit and access to every part of the heart of God that He wants to offer to us even though we were not born as Jewish people. He has engrafted us into the vine is one way that Scripture in the New Testament puts it. So you take a plant, beautiful imagery, and it is a particular kind of plant. But you want to add in a different kind of a plant and make a hybrid out of that, those two plants. What do you do? You cut the one plant, you cut the other plant, you bind them together where the cuts happen, and you allow them to grow together. That's called grafting. Okay? You know what a skin graft is, right? When you lose some skin somewhere and they take a skin from somewhere else and, and put it on there, and once it grows to that spot, it is simply part of the body in that spot. And you cannot go back and take it off unless you plan to just open up and really do damage to that part of the body. Same way with grafting something into the vine of a plant. Once it's there, it's there. If you go in and try to take it out, you're going to destroy both. We're grafted in fully. We're there. We're in it. We're God's people. As much as any Jewish person who's ever lived, we are God's people. Everything God has ever said to a Jewish person, He is saying to us. Every promise He's ever given, every ounce of hope He's ever slung out there towards anybody, it is coming in our direction because we are God's people. You can embrace it, you can believe it, you can know it. We are fully in the family of God as kingdom sons and daughters. There's, another, uh, there, there's a place in the book of Romans where Paul also teaches people who are not Jews about being adopted in as sons and daughters. And the word adoption is a little bit we have to deal with that a little bit because sometimes I know it's in the mentality of people that when someone adopts a child, and this is very appropriate in this room because we have a couple families here that have adopted a lot of children. Okay, but those people, I believe, would tell you that once they adopted those children, there became no difference between the way they raise those children, the way they handle those children, the way they love those children, than their own biological children if they have biological children. And that there is no difference in the way they would do that if they ever had had biological children. If they do not, they're still going to love and care for and provide for and prepare for the future of those kids as if they had given physical birth to those kids. That's the nature of adoption. That's what separates adoption out from other forms of giving care to kids who need kids. 
adopted in. When you are adopted in, you receive full benefit. When you are adopted in, there's no longer a separation, a difference, a division. And as outsiders, we have the blessed privilege of being adopted into the family with full benefits. So, Paul uses the term sonship. And he uses that when he's talking to Gentile people, to outsiders, become a son. Not calling by a different name that indicates some sort of a difference, a separation, a gap. No, you are fully a son once you're in the family. You're fully a daughter once you've been adopted in. And adoption in this case is our choice. It's our choice if we consent to adoption. When Mandy adopted kids, when Briggs and Katie adopted kids, the kids didn't really have a say in it. Like, oh no, I don't think I want to be adopted by you. No, the parents made the choice they were going to adopt the kids. When it comes to the kingdom, it's our choice as the kids as to whether we want to be adopted. I don't know why anybody would ever choose not to be because it comes with full benefits. He also uses the term heir, H-E-I-R, which means whatever is going to be distributed to the children, you get your fair share of it, you get an equal share. And with God our Father, that's a lot. <laughs> that's, that's a big share. That's a great benefit. That's eternal life. That's peace in His presence forever. So if we're going to consider our status as an outsider and whether or not verses like Jeremiah 29.11 apply to us or not, we have to give consideration to God's plan. God's plan. And God's plan is referenced in Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. So listen, this plan did not start in the book of Jeremiah. This is what is very important for us to understand now. Jeremiah is not saying, or God is not using Jeremiah as a mouthpiece to say, hey, I've come up with a brand new idea for you. It's a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. It's a plan to give you a hope and a future. This is a new thing based on your circumstances as slaves or as people who were left behind in Judah I've come up with a plan. Oh, no, 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 no. This is not the revelation of a new plan. This is the reminder of a plan that's always been there. You see, the plan God's talking about has always been there. Let's jump back to the garden where God created this beautiful environment, this peaceful environment, this wonderful environment that had everything that people needed. And then He created a man and a woman and He put them in that environment. That was God's plan. God's plan was for them to live in peace. 
God's plan was to, for them to live in harmony with Him and with the rest of natural creation. God's plan was for them to enjoy every blessing and every benefit He could offer them. God's plan was for them to live in good health, to live in good, solid relationships, to live lives of worship every day. That was God's plan. And here's something I can tell you. Unequivocally and without hesitation, God's plan has never changed. You say, well, it got messed up. They got booted out of the garden. Now they deal with sin and now they deal with death and now they deal with pain and heartache and have to earn their living by the sweat of their brow and the pain in their backs. That doesn't mean God's plan has changed. God's plan has never changed. He said, I am God and I do not change. And near the top on that list of things about Him that never changes is His plan for us. The only reason we don't live in the fullness of His plan right now is because we continue to choose patterns of disobedience. Just read the Bible. That's all I would ever hope for people to do. It's all I wish people would just read the Bible. Stop sitting around trying to figure it out. Stop having arguments. Stop developing new theories and ideas and opinions and philosophy. Just read the Bible. It'd be scary in this small group of people in this room to know the percentage of you that do not pick up the Scripture and give it consideration in a week's time. You're malnourished, you're anemic, you're weak, and you're pitiful because you do not ingest the words of God on a regular basis. And you know who I'm talking to. You know if it's you. You're trying to live your life and be your own God and do it your own way and figure it out as you go. And you make mistake after mistake because disobedience only leads to confusion and disappointment and fear and brokenness. And we don't live in the fullness of the plans that God has given us so we don't enjoy the fullness of the benefits that are inside of it. I want more peace in my life. Go to His Word. Ingest His Word. Meditate on His Word. I'm dealing with this fear and depression and anxiety. Go to His Word. Ingest His Word. Meditate on His Word. Blessed is the man who walks not after the counsel of the ungodly, how much news do we listen to that's given by ungodly people? How much time do we spend sitting around having ridiculous, pointless, uh, endless conversations with godless people? Complaining and grumbling and finding fault and pointing out everything that's wrong with a bunch of godless people and expecting them to help us figure out how to get it right. How much TV do we watch how many movies do we sit in front of? How many hours do we turn the radio on and listen to it? All of this material pr produced and presented, or maybe not all, but a lot, by godless people. Blessed is the person who walks not after the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of mockers, but his delight is where? Somebody tell me. God's words. And on those words, He does what? Somebody tell me. Meditates day and night. And what happens after the if, then comes the then. Then He will become like a tree planted by rivers of water that grows up in its leaves. The leaves of that life become beautiful and it brings forth fruit in its 
season. What season is that? After you've committed yourself to walking in His way and listening to His counsel and sitting in the seat of worship, then you'll see that plan open up and all the benefits of it start to be realized in your life. Getting His Word. Hey, y'all, the answer is available to us. Choose it. You ain't going to get it on CNN or Fox News or any of those other places. You're going to get the answer when you consider the words of God. You're going to find the right way, the right path, the right direction with the right kind of light shining on it when you consider the words of God. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. The the plans are there. The plans have always been there. The plans don't change. My plans for you always in any situation Way back then in in Judah, in Babylon, with those people, in that situation, it was good. Right now in 2020, right here on planet Earth, right here where we live, it's good for us now in our situation. Plans to give you good stuff and not calamity. Plans to give you a hopeful future. In the words of God, the heart of God, the mind of God, the Spirit of God. We're looking all over these other places and we just don't find it. So is the point of Jeremiah 29, 11 good for us? Absolutely. Can we fully embrace it? Absolutely. Are our circumstances different? than they were back then? Absolutely. But is God still the same? (laughs) Yes. Is He still speaking? Yes. Is He still working? Yes. Does His glory still fill the earth? Yes. Well, how can I see that with everything that's going on? Clear the fog. Clear the fog. How do I clear the fog? Get in His Word. Absorb it, ingest it, and meditate on it day and night. Flip all the other stuff off. Shut down the meaningless conversation. And deal with God in personal relationship. How many of you have had something to eat already this morning? Y'all don't eat. Just not yet. How many of you plan to eat something else today? Yeah, several of you better because I went and bought food and I'm going to be cooking it at my house after a while. How are you going to feel as the day goes on if you don't eat anything? Weak? Get a headache? No energy? Grumpy? What about if you go into tomorrow and you don't eat? How's that going to go? I'm not talking about fasting where you commit yourself to a period of time where you're not going to eat and you're going to focus on really intensive prayer and, and, and your relationship with the Lord. I'm talking about you just decide, hey, I'm not going to eat. You're not going to be feeling too good, right? You're not going to be functioning at your highest level. Your brain's not going to be working like it should. Well, why do we go days with no spiritual nutrition 
Well, I come to church on Sunday, Jeff, and I listen to you. I'm glad I can throw you an appetizer <laughs> once a week. But, folks, that's all it is. It's an appetizer. It's an appetizer that I hope will inspire you and motivate you and challenge you to go out of here and start digging in and eating some meals, some main courses, getting your nutrition daily. I can't, don't, don't put that pressure on me. Do not expect me to do everything that, that needs to be done for you spiritually or in discipleship. Don't do it. And if you're going to do it, don't tell me you're doing it because I'm going to have some things to say about it. We got to dig in. The times call for it. Hey, they had some serious stuff going on, right? Do we have any serious stuff going on? Yeah, just, uh, you know, don't spend a lot of time there, but pop in and check the headlines. That's all you got to do. To understand, we have some serious stuff going on. It's every bit as serious as what they were facing back then. Every bit as serious. We're not going to be productive as kingdom sons and daughters if we're not prepared. We prepare ourselves through intensive discipleship, digging into the Word, prayer, meditation. Meditation is so powerfully important. I've got to use my illustration again. I'm sorry. When I was a kid, we didn't have meat at every meal, and roast beef was my favorite thing, and when we had it, I just relished it. I just, man, it was the, one of the highlights of my childhood is when mom would cook a roast. You know, big, beautiful roast there with the potatoes and carrots and onions around it and all the stuff, cornbread. And when I would get down to the last bite of that meat, I just did not want to say goodbye to it. And roast beef is something you can chew on for a while. It doesn't want to go away. So I would chew on it for a while, and then I would plaster it to the roof of my mouth and just suck on it the rest of the day. I've woke up a couple mornings on the day after and still had that roast beef on the roof of my mouth. You know what that is? That's getting everything you can get out of a bite of roast beef. There wasn't a single nutrient left to be had. I got it all. What if we approach the word like that? Take a bite. You may be one who can read three to five chapters a day, not me. I read like two verses. My brain's full. But then plaster it and suck on it and consider it and roll it around meditate on it think about it look at it from every angle every perspective let the holy spirit teach you every possible thing he can teach you out of it until you move on to something else and what's going to happen is a little later all of a sudden he's going to teach you something else out of that chunk of roast beef that you thought you were completely done with and it will bring so much life and so much spiritual energy and so much clarity about the ways of God and so much more of a revelation of what's in His heart for you if you do it that way. I cannot go without His words or I'll starve to death. 
when I get up in the mornings, the first thing I do is go to the coffee pot. And I sit down with the coffee and the Word. And if I miss a day doing that, I don't feel right. I feel empty. I feel less than. I've got to get back to it as fast as I can. I'm telling you, this is the truth. I'm not bigging myself up to try to, to, to make a point. I'm telling you the truth of what can benefit all of us. And I didn't intend to talk about the importance of the Word in this message, but it just came out. So somebody's here that need to hear it. If you're a young parent, or if you're a parent raising young kids, because Stephen's not young, but he's got young kids. Um, man, it, I can't challenge you enough about how important it is to model in front of your children how serious it is to look to God and His words in everything. Yeah, read them some fairy tales and read them some whatever. Let them watch a movie, it's fine. But make sure the Word is, is presented to them as profoundly important in whatever form you figure out is best for them. I'll finish up by saying that <clears throat> we have a responsibility to know that God has a plan that his plan is for good, that his plan is not for calamity, and that his plan includes a hopeful future for every one of us. If we keep reminding ourselves of that over and over and over, as a matter of fact, it's a good place for some of you to start this week because you haven't been doing it. Some of you haven't been doing it. So take this one verse that's so common, that's so popular, that's so well-known, and start with it and just give it serious consideration. Roll it over, keep saying it, memorize it. Write it on something and stick it in a prominent place where you can see it all the time. Let it become a lifeline for you. And the negativity is going to start to dissipate. Because every time you pour something good into yourself, it's inevitable that it's going to push something that doesn't belong out. That's the process of discipleship. Discipleship's easy. It's not about making a decision, I'm going to quit doing that, and I'm going to start doing this. No, it's just making a decision that every day I'm going to take little bites of what God has to offer, knowing that as I ingest that, it's going to push out the stuff that doesn't belong. That's the process of discipleship. So start with that and do it. And then the negativity is going to start to dissipate. And these anxieties and fears over the nature of our world and our country and our society are going to start to be viewed in a, through a different lens within the context of the fact that there is still a God and He's still in control. And He still has a plan. I was thinking, um, what, what's the best illustration for that to close it out? And I'm going to give you a political illustration. Much as I despise the world of politics, I'm going to give you a political illustration. We have a presidential com election coming up on the 3rd of November. If 
Donald Trump is reelected as president on 3rd of November, we need to think about what is our responsibility on the 4th of November. Our responsibility is to get up, sit with the Lord, ingest his words, have a prayerful conversation with him, speaking and listening, walk out of the room fully meditating on the words that we've ingested, go to work, go to school, go wherever we go, with his ways and his thoughts on our minds, living in obedience to him peacefully, quietly, obediently, serving him, serving others, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's what we should do. If Joe Biden is elected president, what should we do on the 4th of November? We should get up and sit with the Lord and bite off bits of his words and have a prayerful conversation with him, speaking and listening. And we should walk out of the room meditating on that which we've ingested. Go to work, go to school, go wherever we go, meditating living our lives in service and love and obedience, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. If a dark horse shows up as a write-in candidate and wins the election, blows all our minds, Kanye West, What should we do on the 4th of November? <laughs> you know the answer, right? You know the answer. I'm not going to go out in the yard and shoot my new gun. I got a new gun, by the way. Huh? <laughs> Watch out, Miss Tracy. I'm not going to go out and shoot my gun. I'm not going to run down the road and burn down somebody's business. I'm not going to kick and scream. I'm not going to hate anybody. I'm not going to steal property that belongs to somebody else. I'm going to get up, sit with the Lord, chew on his words, have a prayerful conversation with him walk out of the room, love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love my neighbor like I love myself. Why would I do that? Because that's what he said do. That's it. We start right there. It's his words. It's what he said to do. He said, these are the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself regardless of who's the president, regardless of who's doing what, regardless of opinions, theories, philosophies, and ideas, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
Love, give, forgive, serve, take care of the weak, the poor, the broken, the widow, the orphan, the prisoner. Just do what God says and the plan He has for us to prosper us and to not bring calamity, the plans to give us a hopeful future will be lived out in our lives in full measure because we are fully sons and daughters of Yahweh. Father, I thank You for Your words. These are Yours and not mine. And I thank You that we can embrace them take a lot of comfort in them, gain a lot of hope from them, have new light of revelation shine on our paths because of them. Thank you that one more time you've taken us inside of your heart and given us a glimpse of who you are. A little bit more. And a little bit more transformation is happening to us. And I just pray as we leave this place, that your words would be sealed in a way that make a change. And for those of us who have not been living in a way that demonstrates our understanding of how important it is to hang out with you, to consider your words, to live our lives prayerfully, full of prayer all day long, to whisper to the Holy Spirit our greatest asset who's always with us, and ask Him for His help, and ask Him for His counsel, that we would do it, that we would make that shift, and we know we're going to see the results. Thank you. Thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here again. Thanks for your attention. Take it with you. Don't leave it here. Take the appetizer and go home and start cooking a meal. Um, the giving can happen at the back doors if you have tithes or offerings, and we appreciate that. Bless y'all. Hope you have a great week.